You're listening to the Oddscast, the original UFC betting podcast that's straight to the point. Hosted by leading MMA oddsmaker Nick Kalikas and MMA journalist Brian Hemminger, they provide you the absolute best UFC betting info, picks, statistics, and analysis from the most respected authority in mixed martial arts betting. MMAoddsbreaker.com. Don't place your wagers without us. Welcome to the Oddscast. I'm Brian Hemminger, joined today by leading mixed martial arts odds maker Nick Kalikas from Circus Sports to break down this Saturday's UFC on ESPN 12 event, which takes place in Las Vegas, Nevada. If you're unfamiliar with our format, Nick and I will break down the fight card from top to bottom, providing extensive analysis and a pick for each fight after doing our film study for the event. UFC on ESPN 12 features an 11 fight card in total and will be aired on ESPN this Saturday night. Let's dive right in. Now, kicking things off on the preliminary card is a women's strawweight fight between Jin Yu Fry, who is 9 and 4, and Kay Hansen, who is 6 and 3. Now, Nick, where did this fight open, and how has the public shifted things so far? Now, getting right into the fights, Hansen opened minus 175, Fry plus 150. And right now, what we're seeing over at Circus Sports is Hanson minus 165, the comeback on Fry at plus 145. A little bit more action is coming in Hanson's way. I do understand it. I know the line has dropped since the opening price, but as far as the marketplace goes, I think we're seeing a little bit more action so far coming in Hanson's way. This should be a competitive fight. I mean, both of these ladies are definitely welcome additions to the UFC roster. They both belong. Um, Fry has, of course, the former 105-pound champion Invicta. I mean, she's got a lot, a lot to offer and a lot to like about her. She, her striking is very fun to watch. I mean, she's clean te- technique-wise, effective. She's a southpaw. Uh, she does have a well-rounded skill set overall, but striking, it's where it's at with Fry. Now, Hanson, on the other hand, man, I mean, she's only 20 years old. And I should mention Fry is actually 35 years old. So a big age discrepancy here for sure off the rip. But for a 20-year-old, I think Hanson is actually pretty mature. Um, she has a more natural straw weight at 115 pounds, and this fight is at 115 pounds. And Fry, again, was uh, the Animoy champion, 105-pound champion at Invicta. So she's stepping up in weight, where Hanson's a little bit naturally bigger, stronger. Um, and, and, man, like I said, at 20 years old, she's one of these fighters that just constantly keeps on improving. Um, her record, if you look at it on paper, is not that pretty. But if you dig deeper into the film, you can really see her improvements. You can see where she's at with with her career right now. And, and she's definitely on the right track. I mean, her wrestling, her aggressiveness, her ground game, it's where it's at. So I think she's going to be putting the pressure on Fry in this spot, just making this a tough fight, getting some takedowns along the way, looking for the finish because Hanson's very aggressive on the ground as well. If she doesn't get that finish, obviously she's going to be able to grind Fry out and probably get the win here. It should be competitive, but I am leaning towards Hanson to get it done here. And I think it's not really a dog or pass situation. I can understand, like I said, the early action coming in Hanson's way. I think it's a favorite or pass situation, to be honest with you. So I am going to pick Hanson to win. I think she probably gets it done and i like hansen too uh she's so young and to already have nine career fights but uh she's been pretty impressive um she has uh a lot of strength here she's got the size i think the her ground game is absolutely going to be the factor and the fact that fry is moving up a weight class uh, i think fry is super talented my main issue is she's just small um if this is a fight at Adam weight and she was facing somebody with Hanson's skill set um and it was just 10 pounds lighter I think Fry would have a really good chance of pulling this out but 
uh, up a weight class against somebody as young and hungry as Hansen. I think it just, it's tough for her. Um, I think she's going to have some trouble staying off of her back. If she's able to keep this upright, uh, Fry is by far the better striker here. So she would absolutely, uh, win at least a decision with, uh, outstriking Hansen. But I just don't think that she's going to be able to, uh, stay off of her back over the course of three rounds. I think, uh, Hansen just continues to score takedowns and get top position. And I think that the future is very bright for Hansen. You know, one of the youngest fighters in the UFC, um, making her debut here. And it's not going to be easy because Fry is a savvy veteran who's been around the block. But uh, I think with her size and strength and takedowns, I think it'll be enough for Hansen to pull out the victory. So I'm going with Hansen probably by decision. Now, moving up to the featherweight division, we have Jordan Griffin, who is 18 and 7, taking on Yusef Zalal, who is 8 and 2. Now, Nick, what's the MMA oddsmaker's perspective on this one? Zalal open minus 125, the comeback on Griffin at plus 105. Right now at Circus Sports, we are seeing minus 120 Zalal, the comeback on Griffin, even money. There has been two-way action on this fight. It's been kind of flipping back and forth, but... Recently, we're seeing more action on Zalal. I understand it, man. This is another quality matchup. Zalal is the kind of young gun, seven years younger. He's the one on the rise. Griffin is more of the savvy, proven vet. Um, so this is an intriguing matchup for sure. Now, I mean, a pick em type of price, I can understand it, and I can respect that. I mean, it seems like more opinions so far coming in Zalal's way as far as I mean, he just impressed so much in his UFC debut. I mean, that went over lingo. He showcased everything he's got. I mean, pretty solid stand-up game, his movement, his kicking game, his ground game, um, his wrestling, everything. So I understand it. But if you look back as a law, you know, he's been spotty at times throughout his career. Again, I know he's he's an improving fighter, always getting better, and he's come a long way for sure. But I'm saying I, I think that performance maybe is a little bit misleading. I think he's got more flaws in his game than that kind of showed. That said – I mean, he's improving at such a rapid pace that you can never count this guy out, and I'm expecting an even better version of him. But Griffin's game, as I said, he's kind of a savvy game, uh, savvy veteran for sure. He's been in there with a lot of solid competition. Um, he's a southpaw. He's got an, only an inch reach overall on him, but I think he's he's a well-rounded vet. Um, and his ground game is where it's at, really. I mean, he does have a little bit of power on the feet. He's kind of a slow starter, but he, once he does pick up the pace and the pressure, man, it, it's hard um, to kind of deal with Griffin at times. I mean, if you go back and even look at the Ige fight, Ige has um, right now has obviously been in the spotlight with his recent performances. And Griffin was in there, hung in there pretty well with a guy like Ige. So Griffin's capable of competing um, with the best and being, you know, like I said, impressive at times as well. So this is going to be a back and forth type of fight. I think Zalal kind of starts off a little bit faster and he may be winning round one. I mean, he's definitely, I think, has the speed advantage. Um, he's got a pretty slick ground game, like I mentioned, but I think the wrestling and the control aspect of things probably belongs to Griffin. And I think he's a little bit more savvy on the ground as well. So I think in round two, round three, as the fight progresses a little bit, Griffin's going to have his moments and he's going to have his spots to probably start looking a little bit better and taking over this fight. So I'm going to go against the public perception here that everybody's kind of leaning a little bit more towards the law. I'm going to actually pick Griffin to pull off the slight upset. I just think right now he's been a little bit more battle tested for me. I think he's been in there with better competition throughout his career. And I think he's going to be ready um, to take on the law in this spot. So my pick is Griffin. And I can understand why Zalal was a bit more inconsistent earlier in his career because he's just 23 years old. So this is a guy with a lot of potential that has a, a lot more room for growth because he's not even close to his athletic peak yet. Um, Griffin, on the other hand, he is 30 years old. Now that's not old, but uh, Zalal is seven years younger. So I think like if 
you thought that the Zalal that showed up against Lingo could beat Griffin that showed up in Griffin's last fight, then I, I would think that if there was any opportunity for improvement between the two fights, uh, between those fights and this one, that Zalal would be the one that is going to be even better this time around. Uh, I mean, he made a drastic improvement for that UFC debut. I, I did not expect that. Uh, he looked great. Uh, as Nick said, the movement was there. The stand-up was there. The kicking game was there. The takedowns were there. Uh, it was just a complete performance. Now, this time around, uh, against Griffin, I don't think he'll the, the takedowns will be there. I think the stand-up will still be there. The kicking game should still be there. But uh, I'm a little concerned about what happens if Griffin gets takedowns or if Zalal starts to slow down from getting taken down. So um, I think that the path to victory for Griffin most likely is to uh, survive early uh, and then maybe get Zalal into a sense of confidence on the feet and then, boom, put him on his back. Because I think that he's going to be uh, – he could be exposed there a little bit. But – uh, I, I do feel like the takedown game for Zalal, which was pretty effective against Lingo, is not going to be there in this fight because Griffin is, I would say, the better wrestler of the two. So this is a really interesting contest, um, and it could go either way for me, but I'm going to side with Zalal just because I think that he is still improving, and who knows, maybe his wrestling has even improved to the point where he could um grapple pretty evenly with Griffin on the canvas. Uh, and I still feel like he was already ahead of Griffin on the feet. And I think that he's going to keep going even further past him uh, for this fight. So uh, I'm going to side with Zalal. I think that he outstrikes Griffin, but I am definitely concerned about takedowns. So we'll see what happens with that. But my pick for now is going to be Yusef Zalal. Now, moving up to the welterweight division, we have Takashi Sato, who is 15 and 3, taking on Ramiz Brahamaj, who is 8 and 2. Now, Nick, where did this fight open and how has the public shifted things so far? Sato opened minus 185, the comeback on Brahimaj at plus 145. And right now, what we're seeing over at Circus Sports, Sato minus 135, Brahimaj plus 115. So needless to say, line dropped, but the public opinion overall and, you know, some sharp opinions as well is leaning a little bit more towards Sato. So sportsbook did, the sportsbooks did get some respected sharp action on Brahimaj in this spot. And I can understand why, honestly. I know, like I said, a lot of people are leaning a little bit more towards Sato, which I can respect that because Sato, he's a southpaw. He's got very good offense as far as striking goes, got good KO power. Um, he's got better cardio and conditioning overall but defensively he is a bit of a concern and especially on the ground i mean even on the feet he's hittable a little bit and he's got some questionable sub d so this is going to be that narrative where you have your striker versus submission artist and brahimaj is obviously that submission artist i mean he's been out for over a year so that's a little bit of a concern i know um, recently he came out and said that he had a tumor um, that they found by his eye and he got he had to get that taken care of before a ufc contender series bout um, so that's one of the reasons he's been out but um, overall, he's pretty well-rounded, but again, where it's at with Brachimaj is definitely the ground game. He's got really solid wrestling. He's got really good submissions. He's so aggressive on the ground. I mean, he just goes after your neck, your limbs, whatever the case may be, and he goes after it, man. So if he gets you down, you're in some serious trouble because it's not one of those cases that um, he's going to be kind of methodical and, and getting position first. And he's, I mean, immediately attacking for submissions. So this is either going to be probably Sato picking him apart, maybe knocking Brachimaj out, or Brachimaj getting the fight to the floor and, and 
getting a sub fairly quickly, possibly if, if that's the case as well. So I've been going kind of back and forth. It's kind of a tough spot. Um, I'm going to lean with the dog though. And Brahamaj here is still in this spot because I think the submission is there. And Sato hasn't faced a submission artist this quite this good in his career. I mean, Brahamaj probably getting a little bit underestimated in the spot. I, I know as the fight progresses a little bit, the conditioning is a question mark and you got to be concerned about that. So maybe if Sato can weather kind of that early storm and drag this fight in later rounds, so you can obviously start taking this, you know, fight to Brahamaj or even, like I said, even from the rip, I mean, his striking is definitely better, but um, it, it is definitely a tough one to bet at the betting window. There's no question about it. Cause I realistically could see it going either way, but I'll go against the public opinion out there with Sato overall. And I'm going to pick Brahamaj to get the win probably by submission. If he does so, obviously. And I'm going to pick Sato, but there is something that I kind of want to disagree with. Um, with Sato, he has, uh, I, I don't know if he'll be able to turn it up late and want to drag Brahamaj into deep waters, even though Brahamaj, uh, does not have great conditioning. It's because Sato's conditioning isn't that great either. And the two times in his career that he's been finished by submission, which is the biggest concern on this for him to lose, I don't see him losing a decision, but he could get tapped. But the two times that he has been submitted, it was uh, fights that went into the third round or later. Uh, he got tapped out most recently by Bilal Muhammad in the third round, a guy that wears people down really well. And uh, back in Pancrase in 2018, he got uh, choked out in the fourth round by uh, Glyco Franca. So it's possible that he can be submitted, but I don't know if it can happen right away because he is a pretty explosive fighter. And if he does get taken down, he can usually work his way back to the feet pretty well. Um, but again, if he slows down, that could be a, something for Brahmaj to take advantage of. Uh, that being said, um, I think Sato is a pretty talented fighter. I mean, this guy hits hard. Um, he's a good striker. He's pretty much in his, in his athletic prime, um, and Brahmaj is making his UFC debut. And I just, I always have tough time picking fighters in their UFC debut unless they are an absolute stud. And while Brahmaj is very good on the ground, I mean, a very aggressive, active fighter on the ground, um, I'm a little concerned that if he does get a takedown and gets too aggressive, it's just going to leave a huge opening for uh, Sato to get back to his feet and get to work. And Brahimaj also has had troubles with guys that were pretty good strikers that were hitting him while he was working to, to get takedowns. So I, I see Sato landing those shots along the way, possibly even, uh, knocking Brahimaj out. Uh, I don't know if it's a certainty that that's going to happen, but I can see Sato out pointing Brahimaj and winning a decision, or I can see Sato knocking him out. But if Sato does start to slow down and Brahamaj gets him down and he can't bounce back to his feet, look out. Brahamaj is good enough on the ground to pull that off because we've seen Sato get finished late in fights before by submission. So that's my biggest concern, but I still am going to side with Sato. Now, moving all the way up to the heavyweight division, we have Tanner Boser, who is 17-6-1, Taking on Philip Linz, who is 14 and 4. Now, Nick, what's the MMA oddsmaker's perspective on this one? This fight opened exactly a pick of minus 115 either way. Minus 115 Linz, minus 115 Bozer. Right now, what we're seeing over at Circa Sports is currently 
Lens minus 115. The comeback on Bowser minus 105. Market pricing is about pickums out there as well. It's kind of flipping back and forth. I'm, I am seeing Bowser favored at its couple spots as well, but um, right now, again, it's basically a pick'em price. So opener was about solid. I understand it. I mean, to me, it's pretty clear cut who the better fighter here is. It's Lens. There's no question about it. Uh, I think he's the better striker. He's a bit better on the ground. He's a better wrestler across the board. He's just better technically speaking. I mean, there's no doubt about that in my mind, but Bozer is a very active fighter, very tough fighter. I mean, he's durable. Um, he's not easy to take down and obviously control and he pushes a higher pace. So if this fight hits a scorecards, it could definitely be interesting because Lynn's kind of, you know, his, his pace at times seems to slow down a little bit. He does, I think have a worse gas tank of the two. I mean, he's capable of going three rounds, obviously, but um, as the fight progresses, maybe Bozer does pick up the, you know, action a little bit and, and pushes a higher pace and it could sway the judges his way. So that's why this fight is a bit difficult because I think, like I said, you got to respect both guys, but I think you have to lean with the technical skill set of Lens. I think, again, he's got definitely more power, more clean technique on the feet. I think he could do a little bit more damage against Bozer. Um, and I think obviously if it hits the ground, Lens has a big advantage there as well. It's just not going to be easy to do so against Bozer. So this is a great heavyweight fight, honestly. So I'm going to lean towards Lens. I got to go with the better fighter here. I mean, at pick and price, I think you have to go his way, right? But again, if it hits the scorecards and we know how judges are, you can never be overconfident. So I'm going to pick Lens to get it done here. And more than likely, I mean, Bozer's a tough dude. So maybe there's a finish. I mean, I understand he survived against Ganya in his last fight, Bozer. So a lot of people are thinking he probably can't get finished, but every fight's different, man. And I think Lens has finishing ability. So I wouldn't be shocked if Lens does finish Bozer along the way. But if not, it probably hits the scorecards. And I think it's going to be a very competitive decision, but I'm going to still side with Lens to get the W here. And I'm going to side with Lens as well. Uh, the main thing for me is I just think Linz is the more technical, talented fighter. Uh, I think his, uh, his, he also hits for more power. I don't think that that's going to be as much of a factor because Boser is so tough, uh, and can take a shot. I mean, if he can last three rounds with Gane, then he should be able to last with just about anybody. And, um, you know, Linz, I thought was going to make a really impressive UFC debut and take out Andre Arlovsky, and it just didn't happen. You know, Arlovsky was a little too crafty uh, and fought a good fight, and Linz just wasn't aggressive enough. Um, this time around, uh, Linz is a much more technical fighter than his opponent, but Boser does balance that out with uh, a lot of volume. So I'm con a little concerned what happens if Linz is landing the better shots, but Boser is just throwing way more and mixing it up a little bit better. Uh, because I do think Boser does mix things up. He, he, he throws more kicks. He, he throws more different techniques. And, um, I can see that swing the judges. Um, my big concern here is, uh, Linz starts pretty strong and then slows down his output and Boser just takes over because Boser's a guy that isn't really known for having much power. Um, almost historically, all of his, almost all of his most recent fights have gone to decision. So I think, uh, it's very likely that Boser goes the distance here. And, uh, if, uh, Lynn starts to slow down. Boser could take over and Boser could win a decision. I think, uh, Boser's kicking game could play a factor. He has some very good leg kicks and that could slow, uh, the output down from Lynn's even more if he's a little unsteady on his feet. So I'm going to side with Lynn's, but I'm definitely cautious about this because I do think Boser's a little bit better than we give him credit for and the output and 
the ability to mix it up could be a big factor in this fight. But my pick is still going to be Lind. Now, dropping down to the lightweight division, we have Luis Pena, who is 8-2, taking on Kama Worthy, who is 15-6. Now, Nick, what's the MMA oddsmaker's perspective on this one? Pena open minus 240 to come back on Worthy at plus 205. And right now what we're seeing over at Circa Sports is currently Pena minus 235 to come back plus 200 on Worthy. So again, line margins have tightened up a little bit. Um, and there has been some two-way action coming into this fight as well. I mean, I think a lot of people view Worthy as a live dog. I can understand it, man. I mean, the guy is a very good and dangerous offensive striker. He stays busy. He's got good KO power. Um, defensively, he is a concern, though. I mean, on the feet or the, on the ground as well. So that's that's where I guess my hesitation is with Worthy as far as at, at the betting window goes. Because this is a tough one to bet, obviously. I mean, laying minus 230, uh, minus 235 where it is a circa now is not easy to do against a guy like Worthy in this spot. Um, especially with Pena being a southpaw. He's well-rounded. He's more of the d- diverse fighter, like here, skill set-wise overall. I mean, he's definitely the better more well-rounded guy. He's more durable and he's got a much, much better ground attack overall. So, I mean, that's why you're seeing Pena come in here as the favorite. I mean, rightfully so. I think he just has more paths to victory over Worthy. I think the durability factor, like I said, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. I know people were saying that if it stays on the feet, Worthy probably uh, gets it done here, but Pena's pretty tough, man. I think Pena could definitely dish it out as well. And Worthy's kind of a suspect chin. I mean, if you look back at some of his uh, performances throughout his career, I mean, he has been tagged. He's been knocked out in the past as well. So Pena, not really known for that one punch knockout power, but man, I mean, he's fairly accurate and he could probably get it done on the feet as well, but it's on the ground with Pena that I think he can excel at and and probably take advantage of worthy here as well. So again, the more well-rounded guy, I got to go with him. It's hard at the betting window. I would probably stay away from this fight, to be honest with you. But as far as a pure pick goes, I think you have to lean Pena's way again. The case in the last fight, we were talking about Lenz being just simply the better fighter over Bozer. Pena is simply the better fighter over Worthy as well. So I'm going to pick Pena to win the fight. Just be cautious at the betting window here. I'll definitely give Worthy some credit. Uh, pretty impressive win streak that he's on now, having uh, picked up six wins in a row with uh, four of them being stoppages, including a 13-second stoppage. And then most recently, uh, by far his most impressive, was the first round finish against Devonte Smith, a pretty good fighter uh, that he knocked out. So, um, you know, it's tough to, you can't underestimate him here either. Uh, even though historically he has had some issues, um, you know, he's faced multiple other UFC level fighters uh, in uh, Billy Carantillo, Matt Bissett, Kyle Nelson, and they all finished him um, relatively quickly. Uh, Paul Felder also finished him early, very early in his career. So, um, most of the time when he fights UFC level fighters, he loses and he loses in pretty violent fashion. So, um, that being said, he does have a lot of power and he could, uh, connect and, and do something here against Pena. But that being said, uh, Luis Pena is, as Nick said, more well-rounded. He has a much better ground game. Pena is longer. Um, I think that he has a great jab that I think he can set up a finishing strike on the feet as well. I think Pena can win on the feet, um, but I think his best chance to victory is obviously the ground. But uh, if it does stay standing this whole time, um, don't be shocked to see Pena win by knockout here as well, because as Nick said, uh, Worthy's chin is a little bit suspect. So 
I'm going to go with Pena. I think uh, there's just way too many more paths to victory here, but Worthy shocked us last time. He could shock us again, and he does have a lot of momentum and confidence. So uh, I'm picking Pena, but you never know. Now, moving on to the main card, we have a featherweight contest between Sean Woodson, who is 7-0, and taking on Julian Erosa, who is 23-8. Now, Nick, where did this fight open, and how has the public shifted things so far? Woodson open minus 375, the comeback on Erosa at plus 310. And right now, the marketplace on Don Best has it. Woodson minus 440, plus 350 on Erosa, minus 430, plus 360 on Erosa. So this line is not widely available yet, but it will get there. I mean, more sports books are definitely going to post this line and have it up here shortly. So with that said, obviously minus 400-ish for Woodson over Erosa. It's kind of head-scratchered away, man, because I'll tell you what, Erosa is a well-rounded, experienced bet. I mean, very underrated in most cases. Um, offensively, he's really good in every aspect of the game. I mean, you can't sleep on his stand-up game. He's got good submission skills. He's got good wrestling. Again, people are going to knock it a little bit because I think Erosa is one of these guys that sometimes people love to hate. But the truth is he's been in there with some really good competition, and he's performed relatively well in most cases. And I have a ton of respect for him. I think he's a tough, tough out. He is taking this fight on short notice. And it, honestly, it's a difficult style matchup for him. I mean, that's why Woodson is a minus 400-ish favorite in this spot. I've been nothing but impressed with Woodson, though. I have to say this as well. I mean, he's got a four-inch reach advantage coming into this fight. He's got very effective striking in most cases, very slick boxing. Uh, he's better defensively overall, very good takedown defense. And, you know, for kind of having that skinny type of frame, man, the guy has some knockout power and ability to finish the fights. I mean, really good timing with his knee attack. Uh, there's a lot to like about Woodson. He's only getting better. So this is a tough fight for Erosa. Despite what the good things I just said about him, I understand it, man. I mean, I don't see him kind of winning this fight. I think it's just a difficult, you know, matchup for him, as I said. So Woodson, I think, is going to be the more effective striker overall. I wouldn't be surprised if Woodson ends up finishing Erosa. Um, but, I mean, at, at times, this will definitely be competitive. I think it'll be back and forth, but I think Woodson will start to pull away, maybe even get the finish. So it's hard to bet against Woodson in the spot. Um, I wouldn't recommend, you know, putting a play on the dog here, uh, but I certainly wouldn't recommend laying minus 400 or over either. So this is, unfortunately, a spot that you just got to stay away from and enjoy the fight. It should be some fun fireworks type of fight, fireworks written all over it. I mean, it, it will be a fun one to watch. So make sure you check this one out. But as far as a pure pick goes, I got to go Whitson. Yeah, this one's just a little bit too straightforward. Uh, it could almost be a trap because uh, Erosa has not had good success in the UFC at all. I think he's 0-4 uh, in the octagon since his Ultimate Fighter finale. And it just has not been a good run. Uh after getting kicked out the first time, he had a nice run to earn his way back into the UFC and then uh, lost all three fights in the UFC again. So um, for some reason, just when he faces guys UFC level, he just has a lot of trouble. Uh, and Woodson is a really good talent. So I just think that uh, Erosa is going to have his hands full here um, because he's not just some lower tier guy that Erosa can beat up on. Uh, Woodson has talent. I mean, this guy, um, pushes a good pace. He has a good ground game. Um, he can mix it up with his hands, with his feet. He's won by flying, vicious flying knee in the past. Uh, I mean, this is a guy that just mixes it up too well and is too well rounded and also comes out of a pretty decent, uh, gym. So, uh, I think, uh, you know, Woodson's just going to be too much for Erosa. Erosa is a little chinny. Um, he's, 
not the greatest striker. He's decent. And uh, I just think Woodson's going to pick him apart on the feet. I mean, his nickname's the Sniper. <laughs> and uh, I think that that's going to show in this fight. So uh, I'm going to go with Woodson. I think uh, not only does he win, he probably picks up his first finish in the octagon too. So Woodson is my pick. Now, moving all the way up to the heavyweight division, we have Maurice Green, who is 8-4, and four, taking on Gian Vellante, who is 17-11. Now, Nick, what's the MMA oddsmaker's perspective on this one? Green open minus 215, the comeback on Vellante at plus 185. And right now, over at Circa Sports, we are seeing Green minus 235, the comeback plus 200 on Vellante. Man, this is a tough one. I mean, I think it's a tough one because I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. I'm just saying it's a tough one because Vellante is one of these guys that, again, is typically underrated at times. But he's been out for over a year, and there's a lot of question marks surrounding him. I mean, conditioning issues at times. He just doesn't show up like what you expect to see from him. But he's been, obviously, a very experienced veteran in the UFC. He's fought a lot of great competition. So this is one of the toughest tests in Green's UFC career by far. It's just obviously you have to lean Green's way a little bit. He's going to be longer. I believe he's got a four-inch reach advantage. Um, he's, again, the more diverse striker overall. He's got better submissions um, to go along with it, even though Volante is not an easy guy to submit or take down. Um, and then Green has a better cardio. Um, and that could be a big difference here in this fight as, as the fight progresses. I know Green, to me, mentally, he's a little bit more focused. Uh, obviously, he's training um, with a camp switch recently as well. He's just taken everything to the to another level in his game and he's focused on getting better and Volante is just kind of more of a question mark right now in my opinion in his, this point of his career so it's hard not to side with Green but at the betting window it's another tough one to me I mean I think everybody's kind of automatically picking Green to get this job done and they think it's going to be an easy win for him I'm not so sure man if Volante shows up he can definitely make this interesting he's got some power you got to respect that and again with all that experience that he has to go along with it he's not going to be an easy out for Green so that's enough said about this fight I guess I am going to pick Green to win it but another tough spot at the betting window for me yeah, I'm going to go green as well. I think uh, moving over to Greg Jackson's gym was probably going to do some wonders for him because he's got the talent. He's got the athleticism. He just needed some refining on some technique and some help with game planning. And I think that that's going to help him a lot. Uh, he's going to be the bigger, stronger guy here against Volante, who normally has fought at light heavyweight. He, I don't think Volante's fought at heavyweight since uh, early days of his strike force run. Um, so I think, uh, going in here against, uh, Maurice Green, who is a big heavyweight is going to be a little bit too much for him. Now, Volante does have some okay wrestling and he does have some very good kicking. Uh, and if he can maybe chop down, uh, Green's legs, that could set something up. But, uh, my main issue is Volante doesn't have a great chin. He's not that technical of a striker and, uh, conditioning has let him down time and time again. So I'm going to side with Green here. I just think he bounces back and looks strong. And I think that the move to the Greg Jackson's gym is going to uh, really have a, a strong uh, show uh, factor in his performance. So Maurice Green is going to be my pick. I think uh, he either wins by knockout or decision. Now, moving on to the middleweight division. We have Brendan Allen, who is 14 and 3, taking on Kyle Daukus, who is 9 and 0. Now, Nick, where did this fight open and how has the public shifted things so far? Allen opened minus 250, the comeback on Daukus at plus 210. And right now, looking over at Circa Sports, we are currently seeing 
Allen minus 280, the comeback on Dacus plus 235. So Allen getting a little bit more love at the betting window. Not really that surprised, man. Allen's been on a roll. I mean, improving rapidly. His stand-up's getting better, but really the ground game is where it's at with Allen. And man, he's been so impressive in his couple UFC ones thus far. I mean, if you look back at his LFA career and access TV fights or whatnot, I mean, you could really genuinely see the improvement in Allen's game. I mean, I'm, I'm happy for him really. He's been putting in the work, he's been focused and he's made himself into a, a very solid competitor. I mean, and again, the ground game is where it's at with him more so than anything, but he's been working with the Rufus camp on, on improving that standup ability and it is getting better for sure. So you cannot, um, you know, kind of sleep on Allen anywhere the fight takes place. But man, I mean, looking at the film on Dacus, I mean, of, of course, he's a contender series vet, um, but he's had some really good fights outside of the contender series, obviously, and, and he's making his official UFC debut on short notice here, by the way. Um, he's a southpaw. I, I like his striking a lot. I think he's one of these guys that pushes a very high pace. He's very accurate. I mean, he likes to get in there and just, you know, like I said, kind of dictate the pace and the tempo of the fight. And then on top of it, he's got a really slick submission game. I mean, his darts chokes are just money. I mean, his takedown defense is a bit concerning, and, and that's kind of usually his issues at times. But he always manages to find a way back up to his feet or, you know, clear his way by grabbing a limb and, and just kind of rolling out of it and, and you know, kind of getting himself in a better position and, and getting back to the feet or getting top position. So Dacus is no easy out at all. This is going to be a great fight. I think this is a sleeper uh, fight overall on this card. I mean, I know it's, like I said, last minute replacement for Dacus coming in against Allen, but this is probably one of the best high caliber fights on the entire card. I'm, I love this fight. So you guys know me. I mean, for the last couple podcasts, I've been betting Allen and he's made me some cash, man. I mean, he's, he's done very well for me, but here minus 280, especially no way I can lay that chalk against Dawkins. I think Dawkins has a chance to possibly pull off the upset win over Allen here, as crazy as that sounds. So my main concern is Allen maybe getting the takedowns and avoiding getting submitted, submitted here in this spot. And he might be able to kind of offensively even maybe get the sub over Dawkins. I mean, that's not going to be a crazy thing either way. I think these guys are more than capable of subbing each other. So it's going to be interesting to see who gets position and who takes advantage of that position. And I, cause I think both these guys are capable of finishing the fight in that regard. I think overall though, Dawkins is a slightly better striker. I think he could kind of dictate and control where the tempo is of this fight. If he stays off his back, uh, this gets interesting. So there's no way, again, I would lay the chalk. It's a dog or pass situation here. I think Dawkins might be a live dog. But as far as a pure pick, I mean, if this was a coin flip fight, I got to lean a little bit more towards Allen because, again, I think the takedowns are the most concerning thing for me. I know Dawkins has decent wrestling offensively as well. It's just I'm worried about him kind of being on his back a little bit too much in this fight. So my pick is Allen, a very, very slight lean towards Allen. But I think it's a dog or pass situation overall. Yeah, this is a really tough fight for me because uh, both guys are very talented and young and exciting. Um, the main thing here, though, is uh, Daukas is making his UFC debut. Now, this kid is special. Uh, a Darce Choke master, almost, at just uh, 27 years old. And uh, he's coming in here, and he has won nine fights, all nine of his career fights, and eight of them have been by submission. Um, and of those eight, five by, by Darce Choke and three by Rear Naked Choke. So this guy loves to latch on chokes. Um, basically, if you are in a fight with Daukus, do not let him get a takedown or get in top position because when he's in control, you're in trouble. He's advancing position. He's looking for that neck. Um, and, and he's done it against some decent fighters. Uh, you know, he, uh, pulled, he even, uh, finished, uh, Jonathan Webb, a UFC veteran. So, uh, you know, this is a guy that definitely has a lot of talent. 
Now, uh, Allen, on the other hand, though, has looked sensational in the UFC uh, because not only has he picked up quality wins, uh, I mean, he's done it against quality opponents, um, most recently uh, getting stoppage victories against two very good fighters in Kevin Holland and Tom Brees. And uh, the Holland win looked even better after what Holland just did to uh, Hernandez. So um, I think heading into this fight, um, Allen is the more well-rounded of the two, but I'm a little more concerned about Daukus's ground game if Daukus can get a takedown. So um, basically, I think Allen has the better stand-up. I think Allen has more power. I think he has better technique on the feet. Um, and I think on the ground, Allen is dangerous there. I mean, we saw in the, the submission of Holland, but uh, I do fear that um, Daukus, if he gets top position, this could get interesting in a hurry. Um, but we really haven't seen a lot of Daukus uh, being dangerous off of his back. So what happens if Allen actually gets a takedown? I mean, all of Daukus's finishes have been from a dominant position or from top position. So... I think it's it's very key for Allen to push forward aggressively and put the pressure on Daukus and even it and just not give him the space to get that top position, even if it means uh getting taking it to the ground himself and, and being on top. Because I don't really see Daukus getting a sweep. I think Allen's good enough on the ground to avoid that. Um it just it boils down to not letting Daukus get a takedown and not letting D- Daukus gain a dominant position because if he does Allen could be in a lot of trouble um but that being said uh, I like Allen here I think uh I think he's going to be the better striker I think he's going to hit for more power and um I think that his ground game is good enough to at least hold off Daukus but Daukus is definitely somebody to be excited about and I just think that this is a really tough UFC debut for him going in there against somebody that's already 2-0 inside the octagon so my pick is going to be Allen. Now moving on to the co-main event of the evening, in the welterweight division we have Mike Perry who is thirteen and six taking on Mickey Gall who is six and two. Now Nick, what's the MMA odds makers' perspective on this one? Perry opened minus 150, the comeback on goal, plus 120. And right now what we're seeing over at Circuit of Sports is currently a Perry minus 345, the comeback on goal, plus 285. So needless to say, all the guys out there have pounced on this line early on that are listening and grab that easy money as far as the pricing goes, man, at minus 150 for sure. I can understand why. I mean, this is stylistically a tough matchup for goal. I mean, Perry is a heavy hitter. He's got the wrestling ability to probably keep it upright and get the job done here. I mean, Gall is definitely an improving fighter. He's going to have a three-inch reach advantage. Um, he has been improving on the feet, but, I mean, his path to victory is definitely the takedowns. I mean, he goes for them often. He's got a crazy good submission game. And, and when he usually gets it on the ground, I mean, he's he's effective enough to finish fights. And as we know, Perry, fight IQ at times, is not the greatest, man. And that, that's what you got to worry about here. I mean, like I said, at minus 150, it was a great line grab. But at minus 345, get out of here. I mean, I think the value starts opening up the other way on Gall. Um, as crazy as that sounds. So again, it's all about line pricing and, and shopping, line shopping overall and when it comes to the betting aspect of things. Obviously, that's a big part of it all. So with that said, I mean, Perry does have that KO power. He's busier. He's more accurate on the feet. He's got better striking defense and he's got the better wrestling. Like I said, to keep it upright is 70% takedown defense, I believe. So he should be able to keep this upright and he should be able to kind of brutalize go on the feet. 
But the problem is one takedown, one back take, and the fight could be over. I mean, quick like. So again, you cannot lay the chalk on Perry at this spot. Um, there's also something to be said about Perry's mental state right now, man. I mean, his girlfriend is going to be his corner, his main corner. I mean, he's not going to have a coach in this fight. It's been documented. We've seen the tweets and everything. That's, that's crazy to me. I mean, you could respect the man. I mean, obviously, you know, it's his decision to make. So. I, whatever, you know, but I, I think that's not maybe a good move either. I mean, he feels like he doesn't need, uh, you know, his coaching, any coaching at all at this point of his career, which I think is kind of the wrong move. So there's a lot of mental, mental instability, I think, with Perry coming into this fight and you cannot trust him. So again, minus 150, understand it, minus 345, get out of here. I mean, goal might be a lot of dog in this spot and this point and everything kind of coming together. I mean, this might be a good time to get a guy like Perry and, and pull off a crazy upset win. So, I'm going to pick Perry to win again. If it was a coin flip fight, of course, I'm going to pick Perry. But man, I have a feeling Gall might end up catching that sub along the way. So it's not a confident pick by any means. So I'm going to pick Perry, but good luck if you're betting this one. And I'm going to go with Perry as well. Um, I mean, he's just by far the better striker here. Uh, and he uses distance pretty well. I mean, the only time that Perry's been submitted in the UFC has been when he did something stupid by... Uh, following Cerrone to the ground and getting armbarred. So if he just fights smart, which, you know, again, this is Mike Perry we're talking about, uh, and that's not a guarantee at all. But if he does fight smart, then uh, there's a decent chance that Perry not just wins, but could knock uh, Mickey Gall out. I mean, Gall is a very good grappler. Very aggressive when he gets, uh, when he takes people's backs and goes for the rear naked choke. Uh, that's by far his go-to move. Um, I mean, we've seen, uh, his first five victories were all rear naked chokes. It was only most recently that he picked up a decision against, uh, Tuari. Um, but, uh, if Gall can't take this down, if he can't submit Perry, I think Perry should still be able to, uh, either outpoint him on the feet, but knowing Mike Perry, he's going to try to slug it out and probably look to, for the knockout. And uh, I think that he can do that as well. And uh, Gall also does have some conditioning issues. He slows down. You saw that in the Diego Sanchez fight where Sanchez just wore him down. And um, I think Perry can do the same thing. Now, I'm a little concerned about Perry, as Nick said. Uh, he's a head case. Um, he's not really getting proper training right now. I think it's just going to be his girlfriend in his corner. Um, and uh, it looked like he had some kind of scrap like a week ago where he was all cut up on his face and hands. Um, you know, and that's, what is he doing? So um, I, I do not trust his preparation. And that's why, even though I'm picking Perry, I advise stay away from this one at the betting window because you can't trust him as a minus 400 favorite against anybody at this point. But Perry will be my pick. Now, moving on to the main event of the evening in the lightweight division, we have Dustin Poirier, who is 25 and 6, taking on Dan Hooker, who is 20 and 8. Now, Nick, where did this fight open, and how has the public shifted things so far? Poirier opened minus 165 to come back on Hooker at plus 135. And right now over at Circus Sports, we are seeing minus 225 for Poirier to come back on Hooker plus 195. 
insane to me. I mean, honestly, I, I figured that the opening line was a lot better off than what it is now. I, I mean, my line is actually a little bit lower, about minus 145 or so for Poirier, to be honest with you. I know that sounds crazy, but I think that's far more of an accurate uh, price for this fight than the current line at minus 225. But everybody, the betting market is high on Poirier right now overall, and, and we're seeing a lot of action coming in, big action coming in on Poirier. I just think it's wrong. I mean, I, I do think that this fight is going to be competitive. Poirier has been amazing lately. I mean, this run that he's had, I mean, I know and understand he's coming off a loss to the champ, Khabib. I mean, you got to respect that. I mean, Khabib basically dominates everybody. So not a bad loss there, but he's beaten the likes of Holloway, Alvarez, Gaethje, Pettis in his last few uh, fights. So, and he's looked great doing so. I mean, the guy I think is at, on a different level right now than he was earlier in his career. I mean, 155 pounds has been great for him. He's more confident than ever. His striking looks on point. He's got good wrestling. I mean, Poirier is definitely world-class and an elite lightweight. So make no mistake about that. And I understand that may, many might not consider Hooker in that same kind of category, right? But matchups are everything. I mean, Hooker's coming into this fight he's got a three inch reach advantage he's got that kind of switch stance that that works for him effectively i think he's able to control the distance at times put pressure on and he's fairly accurate with the striking and you know again not really known for that one punch knockout power but he has it i mean if you look at his win over gilbert burns which is right now has i mean skyrocketed in the welterweight division to the title shot for crying out loud i mean those are the capabilities that hooker has so i really like the high pressure of hooker i really think he's the more durable fighter overall i think he's Got that killer instinct. Um, and again, he's, he's just improving at a rapid pace. So I think overall, this matches up really well for Hooker to pull off the upset win over Poirier. I know again, a lot of people are going to think I'm crazy for saying this, but I think this probably will be a striking matchup. I think Hooker is the more durable fighter. I think he's the better overall, more diverse striker in this spot. I mean, I, I understand one thing. Poirier could come out here, do some damage, hurt Hooker, maybe put him out of there. Poirier has a great ground game to go along with it. Maybe pounce on a sub. I get it, but we're talking about the betting line here. I'm not, there's no way I'm laying minus 225, but make no mistake. I would love to grab plus 195, plus 190 that's out there. There's no doubt about that because I think Hooker has some extreme value at the betting window. So I think Hooker can pull this fight off. I think he could f probably finish Poirier. If it hits the scorecards, which I don't think this is going to go to the scorecards, but if it does hit the scorecards, we're going to see a very competitive, close competitive fight. So I would rather be sitting on the dog there as well. So for me, it's pretty clear cut. I think people are underestimating Hooker in this spot. Uh, despite what Poirier's, you know, his performances have been like recently, I still think that this is a great matchup for Hooker and I think he's going to get it done. So I'm going to pick the underdog Hooker to win, probably finishes Poirier along the way. Now, this is a situation where there's one fighter that I feel has a little bit better technique than the other, but he also is a little chinnier, and that's Poye. Um, I do think that he has uh, the better boxing technique than Hooker. And in a stand-up fight, I do favor Poye. But uh, we have seen Poye get knocked out before uh, a few times now by McGregor and Michael Johnson. And he's been hurt uh, against Gaethje uh, and against the Zombie and a few other people. But um, that being said, Poye has made... So many leaps in his ability. Um, I mean, it's really been off the charts. Um, his performances, uh, elite performances against some of the top guys in the division, uh, picking up uh, stoppage victories against Eddie Alvarez, Gaethje, um, and then Anthony Pettis, uh, and then obviously the performance against Max Holloway that earned him the interim title. Um, very, very impressive run before he ran into Habib and just got wore down and finished, which 
I think is to be expected against just about anybody that faces Habib at this point. But, um, you know, I'm not worried about uh, Dan Hooker taking Dustin Poirier down. So if this is going to be almost a pure stand-up fight, who are you going to favor? Uh, you know, Hooker is a guy that hits extremely hard, and he does have some good technique, and he is improving with his stand-up. Uh, as you saw, I mean, how good does that uh, finish victory that he has against Gilbert Burns look now after uh, what Gilbert Burns has done since moving up to the welterweight division? I mean, Burns is fighting for the title. So, you know, Dan Hooker gets a win here. He could be fighting for a title, too. Um, so... Uh, that being said, I still think that Hooker's technique is a little bit behind uh, Poirier's. I mean, we saw when he was outgunned against um, Edson Barboza that, you know, Barboza was just picking him apart. And then eventually, finally, in the third round, he just couldn't take anymore. But that being said, Hooker can take a shot, as we saw. Um, I mean, people were just baffled how he was still standing in that fight. And uh, I just think if it was Poirier taking those same shots, he probably wouldn't be able to stay as long as he did. So uh, in terms of durability, Hooker is way ahead of Poirier. But uh, I still think the technique is on the side of Poirier. Um, Hooker might be able to mix it up a little bit better than Poirier. Uh, I think he does throw a few more kicks. Poirier's a little bit more uh, boxing-focused. So for Hooker to win, he's going to have to diversify his attack and throw all different types of attacks. If he just turns this into a boxing match, I think he loses for sure. But um, if he can mix it up and make Poirier work and um, and potentially land that big shot, then I definitely think Hooker has a good shot to win. But uh, all things considered, I still think Poirier is the better fighter at this point. Um, I think that... Uh, he has the the better overall wins. He's had a little bit more success in the lightweight division, and I think he can pull this off. But um, I would not be shocked if Hooker pulls this out. And I think this fight is crazy close. So with the current betting odds, uh, I don't see any value on Poirier. And uh, the value is actually on Hooker. Even though I'm picking Poirier, I think uh, that if there's a bet, it's on Hooker. So my pick will be Poirier, though. So that'll do it for our full event breakdown for UFC on ESPN 12. If we have a free play to give out, make sure to follow at MMAOBpremium on Twitter because that's where we'll post them first. We can also notify you of our free bets via email alert if you prefer that method. Just send an email to picks at MMAOddsbreaker.com and we'll add you to our free bet mailing list. Remember, check out MMA Oddsbreaker Premium. Good luck, everyone, and hopefully the betting gods are on your side this weekend.